0: Well, good evening everybody. It's great to have you here with us. I'm Craig Schultz. I'm one of the leaders here. We call them elders. One of the leaders at the church here. But it's great to be sharing with you here tonight. We really appreciate everybody who turns up. You might think we can't see you. We can't see you. But there is a little number that appears at the top of our screen that tells us that we know you're there. And tonight we think that every one of those numbers means more than one because we know that some people are gathering together in houses to share together what God is doing in our lives and in our church. So it's great to have you here tonight. We're doing a series on 1 Peter, and we're titling that series Living Hope. And I want to give you a one-minute background of the story so far. 1 Peter is a letter that was written by the Apostle Peter, someone who was very close to Jesus, To some very young churches. These churches are less than 30 years old. They might be less than 20 years old. And so they're really just learning the things about Jesus and what it's like to be gathered together. They came from a pagan background, from a background that really was living a life of pleasure. They were chasing after things, they were enjoying the good life, and they were chasing false gods as well, false dreams. So they'd come from that background of really doing a lot of the things that they just wanted to do to this lifestyle of following Jesus. And they were finding that the lifestyle of following Jesus wasn't always easy. This letter is actually comes to us in three sections. In the first section, Peter is talking about the blessings of Jesus and who he is, the incredible things and the blessings for those who follow him. And the salvation that we've received. So we, we hear that we've been born again to a living hope, a salvation through Jesus. That's where the title of this series comes from. That we can live a holy life. There's a fantastic passage in chapter, um, in early in the book around Jesus being our cornerstone. The, great, the cornerstone of, of the church and of our life. And then some fantastic statements about us. To say that we're chosen, that we're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession. It's really heady stuff in the first part of the book. The second section actually gets a little more laid down and serious. It's actually about the duties and of good of the believers, of people who follow him. It's actually all about good conduct, just how we as Christians should conduct ourselves. So it talks about how the Christians should relate with unbelievers. How the Christians should deal with authority figures in our life and the government. It talks about bosses and servants or sl- servants and masters, which in our environment we would say bosses and employees. It talks about husbands and wives. It talks about just how we should go about our life. All about good conduct. Last week... Christy preached a cracking message on the first 11 verses. It was great about how we should live, looking back to the cross of Jesus and looking forward to the return of Jesus. She did an outstanding job. If you missed it, go back and have a listen. It's fantastic. But tonight we come to the third section, the third key section of the letter. So let's read tonight's passage. We're in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 to 19. 1 Peter chapter 4 verses 12 to 19. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Wait, stop. Hold the bus. Stop right there. What's going on? Nobody told me about this when I became a Christian. What they said was a great place, you come to this place, people, we worship God, there's so much love, there's community, there's, um, yeah, you hear some stuff about living a good life, we've had some of that stuff. But there's also forgiveness for when you do slip up. That's what I thought it was about, nobody told me this about this fiery trial business, what's going on there? I hear some versions actually even say A fiery ordeal. An ordeal sounds even longer and more difficult than a trial. So what's going on there? Am I really up for that? Is that really part of the Christian life? Where's the good times? Where's the living hope that we said this was all about? Well, that's what we're about to find out tonight. If we titled this series in First Peter Living Hope, you could easily subtitle it with the theme of this passage that we have tonight, which I've called Suffering the Jesus Way. Suffering is an overriding theme that you read from the start to the end of First Peter, because that's what was going on to the church that he was writing at at the time. They were a church that had suffered, and in Peter's opinion, they were a church that was going to suffer some more. Are you pumped for this, talking about suffering? I, can just, I can't see the numbers dropping off the screen right now, but I have this sneaking suspicion that that's just what's going on here. Who's up for talking about suffering tonight? Hooray! If you want to understand why Peter wrote the, this letter, look no further than this passage. Because the people were suffering... And Peter, there was no one bigger in the church at this time, he was the leader of the church, some would say the first pope, some might not say so, but he was the leader of the organ, first leader of the organised church, had something to say to them. In fact, he really wanted to encourage them, so there's the living hope piece. He wanted to exhort them, but he wanted them to understand what was going on and to find meaning for what was happening to them and what might happen to them in the future. So let's read on, verse thirteen. But rejoice in so far as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the Spirit of glory and of God rests on you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers at a Christian as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us, what will, become the out, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous are scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. It's a significant passage, but let's get into it. So let's start. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Strong words, strong reaction you got from me earlier. But just in case you think this is just Peter having a bad day, And he's got a a spot of the glooms on. Let's just um, see what others had to say about this. Jesus himself said in John chapter 15 verse 20, If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. And Paul, one of the other key apostles at the time, in writing to Timothy said, In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So Peter has a few friends in high places who are expressing some of these same sentiments. And it looks like, as Christians, we're in for it. Like it or lump it, whether it's a little or a lot, that we can perhaps expect suffering and hard times to be part of what we go through as a Christian. You know, if I was with you in this room... I'd probably do something, because I like to do this kind of stuff, um, that would invoke a little bit of suffering upon you, okay? If you were right here, right now, I've got ideas. I can tell you, I have a rich stream of this stuff. So I could play some Wiggles music or Nickelback (laughs) or some really ordinary ads, you know, those really annoying ads. I could play them. You couldn't go anywhere. You'd be stuck. You'd be in this room. It would be rude for you to leave. I could put some mild electric shocks on some chairs and just watch what happened as we go. Or I could read some Vogon poetry. Or I could eat a whole packet of Tim Tams here right in front of you and you don't have some. I've done some of those things. Don't worry, these things are real. I've done them. But you're not here. And if I actually do anything that's really annoying, you can just actually hit that little cross in the top right-hand corner and no more suffering for you tonight. If only it was that easy all the time. If only we could just hit that little cross and say, okay, that's enough suffering for now. But these kind of irritations and annoyances is not what Peter's talking about here in this passage. He's talking about something far more significant. He's not even talking about the suffering that comes about as part of our normal life. Bad hair days, parking fines, taxes. Insert your favourite first world problem right here. In fact, you might want to throw that on the chat right now. What's your favourite first world problem that you either annoys you that people complain about? He's not even talking about some of those other things that life throws our way, like illness and loneliness and um, all of those kind of things, even though the Bible certainly does speak to those things. But that's not the context that Peter's talking about here. He's talking about a church and people who are suffering because they're standing up ...for their faith in Jesus Christ. They're standing up as being aligned with him. And they're standing up by showing that their lives are different... ...because of what Jesus has done. And that's why there's all the talk in the earlier chapters... ...prior to this about good conduct. It's actually because of this good conduct... ...is that people are experiencing some of those things... ...that Peter's talking about here... Many of you will know that my wife Kathy and I are involved in a ministry, that, a media ministry, to the Middle East and North Africa. It uses social media, radio and television to beam into the Middle East and North Africa to Arabic-speaking nations with the message of Jesus Christ. One of the things that um, you find with people from the Middle East is they don't have any questions or any problems with this idea that becoming a Christian might mean that there is trouble ahead. No one has to really explain that to them. They already know this. They know it's going to be very difficult for them, either from a family or a government perspective. They know it's coming. We're saying that Peter's talking to a church that is suffering and standing out for being aligned with Jesus. We're not exactly sure of the, the nature of the fiery trials that this passage talks about. So the commentary in my Bible actually says that there wasn't widespread organised persecution of Christians through the Roman government in these regions at this time. There There was persecution in Rome that was happening around this time, but the persecution that went to this area happened much later towards the end of the first century. So the sufferings being experienced here by these people are probably a little bit more like the sufferings that people get when they stand out in a pagan and hostile society, in a society that is seeking pleasure and chasing after false dreams, putting their trust in the wrong things. Does that sound familiar to you? It sounds familiar to me. And it's not so far removed from where we are. If we look at our society today, it seeks pleasure. It avoids pain. And it is chasing after false dreams. The, um, so, so when we as Christians hear this word suffering or persecution, often we think of the severe stories, perhaps like I told about Ahmed. But in many ways, this passage and even some of the references within it talk about various trials Various trials of various kinds, and it talks about relationships and lower, what we might say are lower level types of suffering. Perhaps more like the suffering that you and I experience. The 2 Timothy passage I mentioned earlier doesn't mention any organized persecution or extraordinary circumstance. It just says that everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Everyone. Not everyone who is a street evangelist. Not just everybody who lives in an oppressed country. Not just everybody who actively supports social justice issues and makes a public stand. Not just those who are really spiritual. But all of us. Everyone who wants to live a godly life will be persecuted. We're called to be different. And different leads to some form of feeling outside, some form of suffering, some form or fashion of difficulty in our lives. People just don't accept the fact that we're different. People love conformity. That's what makes us feel easy good. So this passage applies to you and me. But the first point from this passage is, to the Christian, trials are not abnormal and they're not strange. We shouldn't treat them as abnormal or strange. In fact... In some ways, we might expect them. I think it's worth noting, though, that this is written in the negative and it says that do not be surprised. It's not saying go out and find them. Don't go out and find it. Don't go seeking it. Live a godly life. Don't worry, it'll happen. You'll be right. Let's move on. So still in verse 12, Do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. But rejoice in so far as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. In these verses, verses 12 and 13, we see both the purpose of suffering and our response. There are echoes here of chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, where Paul actually introduces why he's writing the letter in the first place, right back there. He says, In this you rejoice. This is actually the hope in Jesus, the inheritance we have of eternal life, and the gift that can never be taken away. In this you rejoice, though for now, for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, That perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in the praise and glory and honour at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So these verses 12 and 13 hark right back to that point, and we see that the first purpose of trials is to test us, to refine us as though through fire, to smelt us. To let the good rise to the surface and get rid of the bad stuff, the dross, the detritus. I just like saying detritus, it's a great word. To give you a couple of stories, there was a time when I was in year four where for some strange reason some kids came up to me and asked me to do something that was not good conduct and I thought it was the dumbest thing I'd ever heard so I said no, I'm not going to do that. And uh, that actually led to six years of bullying from time to time over that very same issue. Six years of being harassed, of experiencing social ostracism, you know, sometimes not having many friends, if any friends. Um, it was a really difficult time for uh, many parts of that time. Not all of it, but, but a good part of it. But many times I actually had to make this same stand over and over and over again for six years. But I didn't cave, and um, as I look back, as I look back, I realised, you know what, there were some things I did that probably weren't the greatest in that space, that probably contributed to the situation, but I'm really glad that, as I look back, that I didn't cave in to what they were asking me to do. Years later, when I was playing football for Bridgewater, just down the road from here, we had one of these things that they called a player's review night, where the players would do various songs and skits for the entertainment of the masses. I can tell you the content of those skits was generally pretty ordinary. Um, In fact, usually extremely rough. But as an A-grade player, I was kind of obliged to participate. I wasn't very comfortable about it at all. And so I actually said to the group that I was with, I said, look, I'm sorry, but there are some things I am just not going to be able to do. I just can't do that as who I am as a Christian, as a family man, as I just can't do those things. So when those things come, I'm just going to go and stand off on the side. You know, so I'm happy to join in with the things that I can, but there are things that I won't do. Long story short, they, said, they actually all said, well, okay, one in, all in. If you can't do that, we're going to do something. But seeing as you've put us in this awkward position, you have to come up with the idea that we're going to do. Um, Now, I had actually been praying about this because um, it was something that I thought, this is not going to be easy. Um, And so I did have an idea. And they actually took that on board. We actually did it. And we won the night. So it was fantastic. We actually won the night with the cleanest kit of anybody there. Um, And so... Whilst it was difficult for that period, just to see God come through in that way was fantastic at that time. Sorry, I have just lost my place. Okay, so um, what I wanted to say in that space was just that hindsight often changes our view of what that suffering is like. We realise that the suffering was either temporary or it was worth it. My suffering... In primary school, stood me in really great stead for other difficulties I'd face later in life, and the suffering, in the case of a few hours, in the case of my footy story, actually ended up in something you know that was um, really honouring to to God in the end, and to myself in the well as well in the end, um, gained a lot of respect even for for taking that stand. But perhaps my most significant suffering for Jesus sake or his name was actually returning to Australia after we'd done a missionary stint and at that time when we returned after four years overseas I actually felt like a failure and I felt um, disappointed I felt embarrassed I felt hurt and I had a lot of questions for God I thought why did I have to go through this difficult time and experience what to me appeared to be failure I went with such great motives what was going on there but with hindsight fantastic hindsight if you look at what God did with that is that Kathy and I are now involved in this mission organization that is reaching way more people than we could have done if I was still there trying to do the things that we went there to do. And some people have said that that failure experience has even turned me into a better person. They actually find me a better person, a better bloke, probably because I'm not as arrogant as I used to be, um, which is probably a good thing. So the first purpose of trials is to test us. The second purpose is the praise and glory and honour of Jesus Christ. Now, why is that important? And there's another sermon right there. But the really, really short version is is that's what it's really all about. That's really what life is supposed to be about. That's what our eternal life is going to be about. And it's what being right with God is about. It's actually giving glory to God the Father through Jesus Christ the Son with the help of the Holy Spirit. And overcoming trials that we face here can be pointers to the victory that Jesus has won Over every circumstance, including death. So, the second purpose of trials is the praise and glory and honour of Jesus Christ. So, I mentioned that in these couple of verses, there is the purpose and there's also our response. So, verse 13 But rejoice in so far as you share in Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Rejoice, hooray, we get this again, woohoo, this time we have to be, this is for real, this is not just mocking fantastic, this is great. Rejoice, knowing that we actually get to rejoice with him now because we share in his sufferings. But also in verse 13, it points to the fact that we will be rejoicing with him later when we are with him. And we rejoice because we are blessed. Verse 14, if you're insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. So we can rejoice because we know we're blessed and because we get a special sense of the spirit in those moments. So rejoicing is one part of our response. But what else? In First Peter, we hear throughout the book, in the same way or likewise a number of times. And what's it referring to? It's referring to, for example, in chapter 3, verse 1, in chapter 3, verse 7, it says likewise husbands, likewise wives. It's referring to chapter 2, verse 21, which says, For this, to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. So you see here, That we have Jesus Christ as an example and the exhortation to follow in his steps. Likewise, in the same way. Chapter 4, verse 1. Since therefore Christ suffered in in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. So we look to Jesus, that's our example. As he suffered, so we should suffer. So the other part of our response is to suffer in the same way that Jesus suffered. And how did Jesus suffer? What's his example? Well, if you look at the life of Jesus, you see that when he came up against hard times, he suffered them willingly. And if we take the great example of the cross, he willingly went to the cross. Albeit, it wasn't with a struggle. Well, it wasn't without a struggle. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus actually says, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. So it wasn't like it was just easy for Jesus. Pain hurts. It's not nice. So it wasn't just easy, yet Jesus willingly went there. He went resolutely. The Bible says that Jesus, prior to going to Jerusalem, to his crucifixion, that he set his face to go to Jerusalem. He set his face to go there, understanding what suffering was going to be there in front of him. But he decided beforehand, he didn't wait for the moment, he had already decided Jesus went humbly. He suffered humbly. The messianic passage in Isaiah chapter 53 probably says it best. It says he was oppressed and afflicted, yet did not open his mouth. And when Jesus was up on trial prior to his crucifixion, there were times when he just chose not to speak. There were times when he just took what was coming to him and didn't respond. And he certainly wasn't defensive at any point in time. So willingly and resolutely and humbly and lastly, trusting in God. Jesus trusted in God. Gethsemane again. If it be possible, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Jesus entrusted himself into the Father's hands. And we're going to talk about that a little bit more in verse 19. What does suffering willingly, resolutely, humbly and trusting in God look like for me? Because I've said what it looks like for Jesus. Hopefully it looks something similar. But for me, it means being known as a Christian wherever I am. That's what willingly is. It says, yeah, I go here. This is me. It's part of who I am. Resolutely means deciding beforehand that I'm going to stand up and stand out for Jesus, that I'm going to be known as a Christian that I'm going to speak out when it's appropriate. It also means that I'm going to prioritise the things of God before the things that are around us. And that might not necessarily lead to suffering, but it might not lead to some of the pleasures that we might have if we go down that route. It might mean I've decided to prioritise the things of God before what I do at work and achieving at work or at sport. Not that those things are wrong, in themselves, but need to be kept in the right order. Humbly means knowing that sometimes it's going to be awkward and sometimes speaking out for Jesus doesn't make you look good in the, in the context of the people that you're talking to, that it's difficult for them and it's difficult for yourself. Sometimes it's hard to know what to say and sometimes it means actually being silent. And knowing when to be silent as well. Trusting in God. Trusting in God can be challenging in the moment for all of us. But we can look to the word of God and what it says. And we can look to the experiences of others and what's happened. And because I'm an old bloke, there's a few experiences in my own life that I can look back to. Some that I've shared with you. To say that the suffering and the trials that I have are probably typically pretty light and temporary in nature for all of us suffering is temporary if we follow jesus we're going to go and be with him and that's the end of all suffering so what i've learned overall is that sometimes the suffering that we fear and when we talk about this passage these passages perhaps isn't as bad as the reality that we imagine in our own minds our fears are worse than what is actually real secondly i learned that hindsight helps And particularly when you have hindsight that gives you understanding that God's purpose has a purpose in suffering and that there's an eternal perspective that changes everything. In Acts chapter 4, Peter and John had spent a couple of days in prison or a a night in prison, a couple of days in interrogation. And they were threatened as they left. It says, not to preach in the name of Jesus But when they got together with the disciples, their prayer is recorded in Acts chapter chapter 4. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. So to to recap, for a Christian, suffering is not abnormal. It has a purpose to test us and to honour God. And our response is to rejoice as we share in the sufferings of Jesus and as we suffer in the same way. We're his and we're aligned to him. We're going to race through the rest of the passage. So verse 15, But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Most of us can probably defend the charge of not being a murderer. We can probably even defend a charge about thievery, not being a thief. Although if you don't count the pencils and pens and other stationery, you've nicked from work, but um, all those minor things. And we certainly don't see ourselves as criminals or evildoers. Most of us, that's not how we view ourselves. These are serious level sins. These are for the professionals. But meddler? (laughs) Meddler's way down there. Meddler is someone who interferes in the affairs of others. It's, it's pretty minor theft stuff, really, isn't it? Peter puts it in the same category as these others. It's in the same sentence. It's in the same sentence. Why does he do that? Because I think it's because even some of these things, like meddling, can actually cause as much damage in the church of God as some of these more serious things that typically happen outside. This is Peter talking to us. So, I mentioned a few things about meddling that might give us a pause for thought, that can cause suffering for us and for our brothers and sisters within the church. So, we could think about gossip, talking and influencing others in affairs that's not our own, talking about stuff we don't really know about that's not our business. We can talk about overstepping our roles as parents, especially as children get older wanting to keep interfering in their lives rather than letting them grow up and be adults. We can overstep our roles as leaders in the church, seeking our own way rather than seeking the unity of the Holy Spirit. We can talk about politics, and I'm not talking about the government here, I'm talking about church politics, the stuff that goes on from time to time, about the petty discussions. I'm talking about cartels and cliques, The things that exclude others. And especially those that form around non-core issues. I don't like the songs. I'm not going if so-and-so's leading. We should be doing communion like that other mob over there. Another area is about majoring on minors, meddling. Just really focusing on things that just don't matter. That cause division in relation to doctrines or or eschatologies or practices. I'm going to jump to verse 19. Because here in verse 19 is another piece of the why. Why suffer? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Here's the other piece. Why should we share in Christ's sufferings? Willingly, resolutely, humbly, with rejoicing. Why should we do it? Because we've received God's salvation. And because we can trust him. He holds the whole world in his hands. And he also says about us that we're engraved on the palms of his hands. So we can trust God. In the midst of it, he knows our pain and our suffering. He's been there. You know, as Christians, I think our lives should be a little bit like Where's Wally? Now, you know Where's Wally from, um, you know what he looks like, The Wally the Puzzle. Wally wears bright clothes. He wears red and white hooped jumper and a red and white beanie. He doesn't change with the fashions. I haven't seen Wally in a puffer jacket yet. When you look at Wally, where's Wally Wally Page from a distance? When you look at him, he's actually pretty hard to see. He's really difficult to find. It's probably up on your screen there right now. You can't see him. A, the resolution's really bad, but B, he's a long way away. But with Wally, the closer and closer you get, the more and more obvious he becomes until once you actually see him, you can't miss him. And the other thing is... Once you have seen him, you can't unsee him. You know exactly where he is on that page forever. And maybe our lives should be a bit like that. From a distance, it might be difficult to tell, but the closer we get, the easier it is to see that it's different. Wally goes to work like everybody else, he goes to the beach like everybody else, he goes to the football. He goes to parades and the opera. He might even go to the pub. I haven't seen a Where's Wally at the pub yet, but I reckon there's probably one out there. But once you see him, he stands out. He's distinctive. He wears a red and white hoop jumper, crying out loud. Is that what people see in us? As the closer they get to us, does the life of Jesus, what Jesus has done in our life, does that stand out more and more? Are we distinctive? Are we different? Or do we just blend in? Are we unswayed by the fashionable opinions around us or do we just try and keep in in, in the sense of this is what people are saying, this is what I'm going to think? or well, I'm not going to speak out here. Are we willing to stand out for Jesus by our great conduct, And are we willing to stand up underneath the suffering that might follow? So let's summarise what we've heard tonight. Firstly, don't be surprised by suffering if it comes your way. If you're a Christian, it's probably going to happen sometime. If you want to live a godly life, we're told it probably will. Secondly, suffering has a purpose. It's to test you and it's to glorify God. Let's let that purpose actually drive us to stand out through our conduct and to stand up um, under that suffering that we might experience. Fourthly, if you're going to suffer, let it be for the right things, not for the wrong things. And don't cause other people to suffer through your stupid actions. And finally, rest in God and entrust your souls to a faithful creator Don't lose sight of the eternal perspective of what's going on. What's going on is eternal. And many times the Bible speaks that our trials here and now are light and temporary relative to the joy that we're going to have when we see Jesus. So rest in God because we know that we're going to rejoice now and we are going to have that opportunity to rejoice with him again. Let's pray. Our Father God, we thank you that you have given us a great example in Jesus. A great example of how to live our lives. A great example of how to deal with the difficult times. We pray for those in our midst who are suffering for a variety of reasons. For those that are just related to life. Because they're real too. Thank you that you bring healing and comfort to those who come to you. We pray for those who are feeling the heat from the consequences of standing out for you. And we pray you'll give them strength. We pray for those who suffer far more than we do. In lands or in families where following you has a huge personal consequence. Yeah, we really ask you to be with those people. And we pray that they would feel the love and the fellowship of the church around the world as we pray for them. We ask you to teach them of what you want to teach them. We ask you to lead them in the ways that you want to lead them. And we ask you to comfort them and strengthen them. And for us, we pray that we might leave tonight emboldened to stand up for you. To stand up for you to stand out for you, to live godly lives and take what's coming to us because of that. We pray for your help and your strength and we thank you that we're going to rejoice with you and with everybody when we see you again. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to a sermon from Hills Baptist Church to find out more or to hear other great content, find us at HillsBaptist.com or on your podcast app.